0: Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode 138, I believe. As you can find us, of course, on the internet at radiomvp.com. All our past podcasts are there, all the episodes, not just of the sports podcast, but all the podcasts we've done here on radio MVP and find us on Twitter at the real radio MVP. I'm at Tim Continenza and Anthony is on Instagram at a caps 17. And that's basically how you can get a hold of us anytime you want. As we uh, continue, we've got a lot of things to, to kind of go over. We haven't had a podcast in a while actually we did record one about two weeks ago and I just never had time to go through it and, and prepare it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it was never released. So, I mean, and quite honest, we had some technical difficulties and just to me wasn't to the quality that we wanted. Needless to say, we're here tonight and uh, we got a jam packed uh, podcast as uh, a little later on. We're going to be talking with Brian Barish from the US AFL and not the USFL, which I wanted to say all the time last night, but the US afl and that's the united states australian football league and brian is the media coordinator for the league and he also is the lead uh play-by-play announcer so uh it was uh, quite a fun uh time talking to him uh just about his journey in the uh, the sport and uh, some of the things and some of the common people we actually met through footy so it has been a uh, really, it uh, was an interesting conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. And uh, well, I got some more information to talk about a little bit later. Uh, that's just kind of a recap of where we're at, where we're going. And uh, let's bring Anthony in. How you doing, my
1: friend? Good. It's nice to be back this week and nice to, it seems like for the first time, maybe with baseball in it's everyday, you know, mode, there hasn't been a lot of postponements not going to look because of. COVID or the rain, capacity starting to increase around the majors, you know, by a couple percentage points here and there. So it seems like maybe we are turning a corner to having an enjoyable summer uh, for the first time in two years. And uh, it's always nice to, you know, maybe kick off summer with a four game sweep on the road. Nonetheless, things are looking up maybe yeah it's been a uh first month of the season the indians are
0: basically a little over 500 right now i think they're 17 and 13 overall mm-hmm. and like uh, of course as you just mentioned the four game suite over uh kansas city ups and downs throughout the uh the entire month of the first season our first full month of baseball uh let's call it um or five weeks, depending on how you really want to look at it, mm-hmm. because of the way it started and how many days off we had. So let's just mm-hmm. call it a month and leave it as that. An interesting month. A lot of, like I said, ups and downs and mm-hmm. a lot of fill outs. And, you know, we've seen some already some changes in the lineup and some changes uh, in the roster in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, Logan Allen has now uh, been sent to the alternate site. Uh, he's out of the rotation and Hedges is in. And another big lefty and a guy who they uh, have high hopes for. Not that they don't have high hopes for Logan Allen. It's just, it's now Hedges' opportunity to show what he can do.
1: Yeah, it's uh, they're both lefties, but they're different style lefties. Uh, Hedges is big and strong and can th- uh, get the fouls ball up there 95, 96. Uh, still is a developing breaking ball. Logan Allen is more of uh, your traditional left-handed pitcher, hit the corners, drop a breaking ball well in and there. He's not going to overpower you with stuff. Him hitting a spot is very key. They're both young and have a lot of potential. Both had a phenomenal spring. I know you can't take a lot from spring, but you can still get a good grasp on what the guys can do. And you're right, Tim. It's been, I want to call it moving chairs, but uh, I like how they're giving multiple young kids a shot. Henschus and Allen. Harold Ramirez is not a kid, although he's only played in the major leagues for a year and a half, really. Daniel Johnson had a couple games up here while Frambo Ray was on the uh, paternity list, so they're getting different guys in. I think you're going to continue to see that throughout the year as they try to kind of tinker with who they like where and what they like. And, you know, from the last time we recorded, we were talking about the – uh, struggles and lack of production at first base. And while it's not great, it's improved as Jake Bowers, you know, with everybody clamoring for Bobby Bradley and, you know, bring him up. And I said that Bradley should have started the season with the big league club after the spring he had. Uh, Bowers, the last couple of games, uh, last week, said over 400. And it's not just he said 400, he's had some key RBIs to either get the Indians back in it or uh, give them some insurance runs. Um, and the thing that I like, he's done it both off lefties and righties, and he's shown some power. Uh, hit his first home run a couple days ago, so he is starting to do find his groove. Uh, he's always been a good defensive first base and that's never been a problem with him. So hopefully maybe that, that side of the infield is starting to get figured out.
0: Yeah, it you're seeing some comf- more comfortable play i mm-hmm. think from uh, players you know hernandez i was never worried about i he's a veteran he's been through it uh long term i think he'll be just fine second base both defensively and offensively mm-hmm. and you're starting to see the, him hit the hit the gaps and get some doubles mm-hmm. again and and use you know his skill set and now that he's back at the top of the order i think will also help him
1: yeah
0: uh it was nothing wrong with trying different things they never did have a a true leadoff hitter coming into spring Mm -hmm. uh, or into the season and they're still juggling that but with hernandez at least gives you a legitimate guy who knows the strike zone probably could take a few more walks long term to be a leadoff hitter but uh, we're seeing the player that we've seen last season, mm-hmm. especially the last 10 games or so. So I think that's uh, really a, uh, an encouraging sign. As for first base, it's still a disaster. Yeah, Bowers mm-hmm. is showing some life, which is important. Uh, I honestly do believe that the Indians do need Bowers to demonstrate that he can handle pitching at this level and mm-hmm. get on base and, and, and drive the ball. Yeah. He has hit the ball hard a few times mm-hmm. and they were outs and uh, he did get off to a, a rocky start. And, and and quite honestly, all the days off and all the the juggling of the lineup, trying to lefty righty at first base has been difficult on him. I do believe the more he plays and the more he develops uh, and shows what he Potentially, could be his value rises for different opportunities within the organization. Mm-hmm. If that's a trade opportunity, or if that's just winning the job outright someday, who knows? Uh, Yu Chang is unfortunately he's just Amazing. he's he's a, he's a mess. Yes, uh, he is. It's it's not his fault. He's playing a brand new position. He's a young player. He's not getting consistent at bats. Uh, I mean, I you know, in the springtime, we've seen the ball explode off his bat, so I think long-term, he will be fine. I just think it's going to be a rough road this year, just because of the inconsistency for the first time in his career coming up through the minor leagues that he's not playing every day. And that's an adjustment. And that's an adjustment no matter who you are. And then you're playing a position that you were never trained at. You know, he was a shortstop, a middle Mm -hmm. infielder, a third baseman type uh, player. uh, And there's not that opening at any of those positions in the openings at first base and he's done a really well job for a guy who never really played the position on a consistent basis like he's being asked to do this year so we'll see as you mentioned ramirez now joining the club out in the outfield uh harold ramirez who played for mm-hmm. the marlins and actually was a cleanup hitter for the marlins last. yes game. so uh interesting uh, we we've seen him hit the, hit the gaps a couple times mm-hmm. and, and, and swing. I mean, obviously it's a small sample size. <laughs> it's extremely small, but yeah, I understand why they, they absolutely the camp and uh, this is an opportunity to see what he can do. Center feels a mess. Oh we just, God. We don't know what to do. Gordon well, Lipro has been a pleasant Pleasant surprise with the power on the bat and able to—he's come through with some big home runs. Yes, yes. But his average is below two hundred and a of a over eleven skid or yes, over seventeen, yeah,
1: over fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that he just came uh, out of. So, yeah, th- there's still challenges in front of this team. Mm-hmm. However, playing in division and taking on Kansas City in Kansas City, winning four in a row led by the pitching staff, led by some uh, really timing hitting. Uh, that's encouraging. And, you know, the old saying is so true in baseball. You you don't win a division in April, mm-hmm. but you definitely could lose one. You can lose yeah. it. Yeah. I uh, Not saying the Indians were ever going to be Detroit Tigers. Detroit's eight games behind today.
1: But you could be Minnesota, though, and right. having just and, a complete mess everywhere, right. uh, starting pitching, the bullpen, the offense. I'll get to that last week. The twins a little bit later. I saw them uh, play the innings last Tuesday. You know, you're right. I, I do like Hilda Ramirez. It's it's early, it's only been three games. What I like about Ramirez is if he sees first pitch fastball, he's swinging. He has some nice gap to gap power. Uh, already has three doubles. He's shown a couple of times he can hit behind the runner, go to the opposite field. Two nights ago, he got a ball down the first baseline by Santana, and usually. Uh, Santana makes those spicy made one against us in the home opener this year that saved a double. Nice to get maybe a power bat ex- to extend the lamp a little bit. I thought the last two weeks, uh, Josh Naylor's at-bats have really, really looked good. He's not swinging from the fences anymore. And sometimes he doesn't. That's a young hitter. Is that bats seem to be getting more under control. And when you have – ramirez and ramirez and rosario and reyes hitting in front of him he's going to see pitches and he's not missing right now and he's going to go through some slumps where he is missing but i tell you what though the enthusiasm he plays this game with the just overall energy uh, that's something that last season lacked a little bit uh, because of the whole pandemic it's a weird year but you can definitely see uh, he's a guy that Brings a lot of energy. Uh, defensively, like you mentioned, it's still a work in progress. Um, yeah, last
0: year was such a weird year. Uh, it's hard to compare mm-hmm. any player to what they did in 2020 because it was only a 60-game season. Someone like Naylor came over after the first month of the season played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so it was so weird to begin with. And so different that hopefully they never ever experienced anything like that in the game of baseball again, but it was what we went through as a, uh, as a fan base. And that's, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, it's tough to compare last season to a full season, at least a scheduled full season of 162. We have a lot of young players that just have never demonstrated a full season. Yeah. Before. and They've
1: never had consistent at-bats like you mentioned.
0: Yeah, and that's the key. Uh, We've seen Bowers get, you know, some extended play a couple years Mm -hmm. back, but last year was a complete wash for him. Never even played at the major league level. No. He's out of options, so we'll see. Like I said, his value will increase as he plays, meaning he gives the Indians front office options. If they truly believe there's a better player that needs to play, I think long-term, they'll make that move. Mm -hmm. However you never know what type of trade offers are going to be out there. and What, what, what a team may need. And mm-hmm. it's only, you know, May 6th. So let's just take our time there. And, and like you said, see how he develops. I don't think he was anybody's uh, as a fan base, first choice to, to start the season. No, it was a circumstantial type scenario. Uh, and that's, that's part of baseball though. That's why it's designed that way for players get opportunities or they go, you know, unfortunately go to the wayside. And sometimes you have to make, you know, tough choices. And obviously Bobby Bradley, you know, he can hit home runs. We know that. I think there's no question about that. The question they have always had about him. And I guess some of the problems they're seeing early Mm -hmm. in uh, in Columbus is he just has a lot of swing and misses. Uh, he misses the ball often, and that is a concern when you're at the major league level. Now, baseball has changed so dramatically in the last 10 years where strikeouts are up and all or nothing place is going to bring more of what we've seen this past couple of weeks. Actually, this first month of the season, three no hitters in mm-hmm. baseball. Four if you count the seven-inning no-hitter. And, and I honestly believe that's part of the style of baseball. It's all or nothing. You're going to see this across the league uh, throughout the season. I will not be surprised if this is an all-time high for no-hitters this year in baseball. I believe that's around eight or nine in this season. I could be wrong on the exact total. But I will not be surprised if we see this continue all season long. Because all teams are built the same way where you have teams that are really struggling to put hits together like the Indians did in you know for their second run in the game where they had three straight two out hits today that mm-hmm. that's uncommon today in baseball extremely and uncommon it's today it's it's home run or bust you know type scenarios and uh, teams aren't putting 10 12 hits on the scoreboard every game they're putting seven or eight and two of them are home runs and you're hoping that when you do go deep you have a guy on base you go back to where ramirez hit two home runs in one game indians won four to two the reason we won four to two Mm -hmm. because each time yeah there was there was a player on base when he hit the home run uh you're going to lose games three to one three to two because you gave up a three-run homer and you only got one yourself uh that's just the way the game has been played. You, you can complain or love it. Uh, it doesn't really matter, but that's just where baseball's at today, in my mind. It's You're going to see a lot of this. And when the Indians got no hitted, it was a combination of a great pitcher having a great performance that day and a, a lineup that was overmatched in a sense that it, was, it needed – and, and just like you've seen the other day, you know, when Kershaw threw his seven innings, he just overmatched him. There was no chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was nine innings in that game, I'm most certain that he would have finished the job off. Uh, just like means John means for Baltimore uh, through the no hitter. He was dominant. You're going to see that. Uh, you're going to get a lineup that you're going to face is a perfect lineup on that day against your stuff. And we're seeing more and more of that in baseball. And I, like I said, I won't be surprised if we see uh, seven, eight, maybe up to ten more uh, no-hitters this year.
1: You know, that's definitely the way baseball is going. And it's funny you bring it up because I was talking, and not not specifically about no-hitters, but I was talking today at work to someone about the extra inning rule and how offense has really changed I said, he said, you know, very, very seldomly unless you're the home team and it's tied in the bottom half of the 10th, are you bunning? And I said, yes. I said, if you're the visiting team, and this is my mind, then it could be completely wrong and stupid. But to me, if you're the visiting team, you almost have to play for two runs because a one-run lead, going into the bottom half of an extra inning, uh, that's basically asking for a tie game. But a sacrifice and a bunt and a of sack fly or a hit, you know. So t- to me, as the visiting team, you got to play for two runs there. You, I could be completely wrong, but to me, a two-run lead kind of feels like a one-run lead going into the bottom half of the – extra inning although we saw a couple days or a couple weeks ago uh when the Indians had a one run lead in the extra innings the main class A just did a phenomenal job of wiggling out of it but um yeah
0: here's the thing analytics tells you that butting the runner over to third is probably a less desirable scenario Mm -hmm than you want to be. There are times where it'll be the correct play because, yes. let's face it, um, as much as I like Roberto Perez when he's available, uh, he's a 200 hitter or less mm-hmm. sometimes, and if he's at the plate with nobody out and runners at second base to start inning, would it make sense to just move the runner? Yes. Yeah. Not all the time, but I'm sure there are scenarios. There are scenarios that he's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark, too. And same with hedges and same with other players on every team. Uh, But yeah, you got to play for multiple runs and that's what it's designed to do. It's not the best system. It's an overtime system. It's, you, you can compare it to college football over time mm-hmm. and the sense that, you know, college football, you put the ball at the 25 yard line, and yep. it is about scoring points and coming to a, a conclusion in the ball game. You know, it's perfect for high school. I love it at a high school level at the 20 yard line. I've yep. said this many times. I love that system. I would change it completely to get into a real quick sidebar here. What I've said many times before is move it back 15 more yards at the collision level, start at the 40 yard line, 40 yards from the goal line. Then you have to at least probably get at least one first down or close to a first down to attempt a long field field goal. goal. Yes. And, and who knows what, what, you know, it makes it a little bit more challenging in the NFL. I would do the same thing. I'd move it back 20 more yards where you're 60 yards away from the goal line. And that's a legitimate drive where you have to score. And the other team and you're taking the punt game and the, yep. the special team game on, on that level away from both yeah. teams but that's okay because it's overtime. It's a way to find a winner uh, and and determine a winner. I mean, that's the way I would change it. If I was the consultant for the, the next version of the XFL, that's what I would absolutely pitch them as put the ball at your own 40 yard line, 60 yards away from the goal line for any overtime and play it like, like a regular game, but Mm -hmm. you have to get you, you have four downs. You can't punt the ball we'll see what happens because you're the other team's going to take over again, 60 yards away. So we'll see if that'll ever happen. I doubt it, but that's always been my, my philosophy and suggestion for overtime in uh, all sports or or in the NFL. I like the college slash high school overtime. I think college is too close at the 25 yard line. You move it back 15 more yards and make it, make it more of an effort to get a first down and, and to score. Same with the NFL moving back another 20, you got a 60 yard drive. Who can complain about that? And Mm -hmm. if you can score a touchdown, and then you have the two pointers and all that yet you can force in overtime like they do already. So that's a totally separate issue. I just wanted to get that out there because putting a runner second base is basically the same thing as putting the ball at the 25 yard line in college football. You're, you want a score to happen. You don't want overtime, uh, I'm not a big fan of the seven inning ball games in major. I'm league not either.
1: Ball. I'm not either.
0: I understand why they do it. It saves pitching staffs, promotes the idea of a traditional doubleheader versus a day night doubleheader. Because I believe mm. a day night doubleheader would not be two seven inning games, but no. two nine inning games. So it promotes the idea of the traditional doubleheader. I uh, don't really find it that that appealing either way. Be honest, but. Personally, I would rather see nine innings than I would a seven in game. But those, those are the rules, that everyone's playing by them. So you just accept it and move on. However, when you do get a, a seven inning no hitter, uh, it's not the pitcher's fault that the game ended as seven innings. Nope. No, he's pitching within the rules. It's not a no hitter under the rules. And that's fair. I have no problem because it states that in the rules, you must pitch nine innings. Nine innings. Yep. Yeah. And You know, I happen to be one of the unlucky, lucky guys years ago who went to a doubleheader with the Indians uh, back when Roger Clemens was still with the Boston Red Sox. And Matt, who pitched for Boston, pitched a no hitter and lost the game two to one. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. To the Indians, uh, the opening game. Basically what happened was Kenny Lofton got on base on a walk twice, stole second and third and came home on a ground ball both times. And the, the Indians gave up one run and won the game two to one. He pitched eight innings of a no hitter and get, he's credited with just an outstanding performance, not a no hitter. Yep. not His fault. His team didn't score enough runs. Um, nope. But again, and that's just the way it works if that would ever happen again in baseball and it has happened uh i forget who the player was a few years back through a no an eight inning no hitter and lost and again a notable achievement as they call it but not a no hitter it's just it's it's some fallacies in the rules uh i don't think they'll ever correct it because it's baseball and baseball's strange that way but yeah, it's not his fault that the game ended after seven innings. We, we'll we we'll never know. He may have gave up a hit. He may have walked five guys in a row. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But the truth is uh, the game ended. So it goes in the books as a seven-inning no-hitter, a, a notable achievement, as they say.
1: I don't like the seven innings, I, but it, it's the rules. you got to play them. Hopefully, the May 31st game games against Chicago are the only double-hitter we have all year. We We can play non-inning games, but let me get to this point real quick because I want to touch about it. It's And I get we shouldn't be surprised by this. This person is just extremely talented, one hell of a player. They're an MVP candidate almost every year. It is just the old saying, you watch a ball game no matter what because you may see something that you've never seen before and you watch a game because of a player you like watching, how clutch is Jose Ramirez? I mean, every single night when the moment calls for it. And like I said, we shouldn't be surprised by this because he's a hell of a player, and he's been a hell of a player for five years now. But it's incredible, Tim. Whenever you need it, he's there. Yeah, well,
0: you hit, You are correct, okay, He's, he's an all-star for a reason. He's finished top three in the MVP balloting three times for mm. a reason. He led the majors, even then an abbreviated season last year in war. These, mm. you don't do that without talent. You beat Mike Trout in war last year. I mean, that's tough, that's tough to do. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And he is in a handful of players that when you talk about offensive players and their abilities that you, you would you would talk about as one of the best at his position and not just at his position, but in baseball, as they talk about Mike Trout. And and there's no question in my mind, Mike Trout is the best player in baseball in the same breath or in the same conversation is Ramirez, excuse me. And, And there's a few others that you put in that same category. They are really terrific ball players, top notch, the elite ball players of Major League Baseball. And there's no question when you look for an alternative to Mike Trout, meaning a player who has the ability to do certain things that not many people can do. Jose Ramirez is one of them, and and here's a guy who can hit for a good average, probably can hit 300 or better. Uh, we'll see if he can or not. I mean, he's definitely a 285 or better hitter. We've seen him hit over 300 in the past. We know he can steal 30 bases. If he gets the opportunity, he's, he's a five tool player. I mean, you just don't see that very often, but he is, he's just not an outfielder. He's a third baseman, which is really unique to be able to run the bases. Like he does, you know, Mike Trout could steal 30 bases too. And probably will, if he, you know, gives the opportunity, uh, speaking of the Angels, uh, yes, Pulhos has uh, been uh, designated for assignment. So, uh, one of the legends of the game uh, looks like his career has uh, come to an end today.
2: It's
1: really unfortunate because you know he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. The numbers he put up in St. Louis and then with the Angels are just simply incredible, and it's difficult to see him having such a rough year. You know only hitting 198 with uh, five home runs. But like we've talked about countless times in every sport, other times undefeated, and he's 41 years old this year.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think Tom Hamilton, if you heard the game today, when he talked about Albert Proholtz and, and the decision the Angels made today, he's going to get paid no matter what. They just yeah. chose now to move on from not mm-hmm. saying another team he won't sign with. Cause there's always that possibility. A team could use a DH and say, Hey, why don't you finish out the year with us? Cause it only costs us the uh, league minimum, whatever yeah. that may be. And they're going to pay the rest. I mean, that's guaranteed once he clears waivers, which will happen because no one's going to ex- take on that contract just for the final year. However, I mean, chances are other than St. Louis, and there's no DH this year in the National League. Um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I think there's a chance. I think it's a remote chance. But I believe there's an opportunity that he could. DH, on, yeah. yeah, with a team mm-hmm. that he thinks, for example, God forbid. And I say this with all knock on wood. Hypothetically, let's just say the Indians Ramirez are Reyes. Suffers a major. yes yeah. Would you take a chance on him? Sure. What do you have? Nothing to lose. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the you know what you would want. I'm just saying, would there be a legitimate reason to take that chance? Sure, because he's a hall of famer. And maybe you could inspire him to have one last run. Whoever that may be, he could most American league teams already have their DH. They know who that is. In National League, he would be coming off the bench, and I'm just not sure he would do that, anyways. So yeah. Chances are his career is over, but, you know, it was 667 home runs in his career, third highest toll in RBIs, mm-hmm. uh, just under 300 hitter for his career, 21 years. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing career and one of the most amazing baseball players I have ever watched. And uh, the World Series is that he won with yes. St. Louis and how he dominated them tells you everything you need to know about. His uh, his legacy
1: it's going to last a long long time. I think the most likely um, outcome, and obviously outcome, but I think the most likely uh, ending to this is probably he signs you know late in the season with St. Louis, just as a one last retirement kind of thing where he can, he uh, can get sign, that standing ovation and yeah you know at the end of the year the Cardinal right, yeah exactly it could happen and I'm
0: not saying it yep. will happen. I won't be surprised if that you know happens. Just like Jim Tomey signed his offseason one-day yep. contract with the Indians to retire as an Indian. It's ceremonial. It's a nice gesture. It makes the fans mm-hmm. feel good. And in 2021, with everything the fans have been through in baseball, would I like to see something like that happen? If that's something Albert Proholz yes. chooses to do and the, and the St. Louis Cardinals want to do, uh, yeah, I'm all for it. If that happens, and uh, uh, you have to take the moment just to salute the player that he is and was, and uh, w- the achievements that he has had in his career for us not to at least acknowledge that would be uh, kind of sinful as baseball fans.
1: Yeah, he's had a hell of a career, like I said, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, he put up Hall of Fame numbers in two different leagues, two different teams, uh, the Angels because they for whatever reason, are like the Yankees and refuse to go out and get starting pitching, uh, have not done very much. Um, but like you said, the World Series, he won in St. Louis. and every World Series, he just mashed. Um, and he's a Hall of Fame player off the field and is going to be first belt Hall of Fame player when his career is over at the end of the year. Well,
0: it'll be uh, interesting to see how that all turns out. Yeah. No question about it. Hall of Famer, first pilot. just mark it down. He will be in uh, Cooperstown someday very soon. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, he can add five years from today and yep, that basically will do it. Uh, the NFL draft was this past week and probably for you, I don't know if you paid attention to the rumors or not, but the big rumor that came out draft day was the Aaron Rodgers situation. And at one point, uh, a few, uh, people were reporting that it was basically almost a done deal uh, that he was headed to Denver. What was your thoughts if you heard about that? And, uh, would you like to see Aaron Rodgers uh, finish his career in Denver?
1: I did not watch a single pick of a draft. I've just never been one of my, uh, big things. I, I have heard those rumors. I have a Raiders fan at work who is, uh, Maybe on pins and needles, he's starting to get a little nervous out there because the uh, ten million dollar ten-year contract, or where the hell they gave to John Gruden to be seven and nine, eight and eight every year, is uh, starting to get tiresome, and uh, they realizing that they they could be again uh, last fiddle. But uh, I would say this, and I'm going to upset a lot of people. I would don't don't even think about it. Don't even think about getting Aaron Rodgers. Would not I would not do it. Period. You don't touch him. You let him go. Don't even. Do not even. No, no way. So this isn't the Peyton Manning revisited. No, no, no. It's not. This is not the Peyton Manning revisited. Um, and only for the sheer fact of you look at that Peyton Manning. You knew would be a good locker room guy. You knew when the time came that he would do everything he could to be a good leader, to help mentor the younger guys, to help mentor the um, younger quarterbacks, and he would not mind when you drafted a younger quarterback. Denver drafted two. My biggest, f- and you didn't give up anything for him really. You know he was a free agent that was released by the Colts. Sure. Um, the the asking price for Aaron Rodgers is so insane that i wouldn't even touch it you're going to have to give up two probably three first round picks and for a team that has not been very good that has not drafted very well you can't give away that draft capital you better not draft a quarterback he will not mentor him we've seen what happens when you draft a quarterback any little thing can can fly him off the handle, and he is done. He never wants anything to do with you guys again, and that's it. Look, we all know the talent he is. He would have a lot of young skill position players in Denver, but if you get him, to me, it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Because yeah, you go out and you probably get a wild card bid, you sneak in the playoffs, you're not winning the Super Bowl with him. I'm telling you that right now. You're not. You're yeah. still not the best team in your own division.
0: That's, you know, here's so the thing. You're, you you're are, right about that. I was just, are, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. I, I just want to emphasize the point you just made. I agree with you on that about not winning the Super Bowl because unlike when Peyton Manning became the starting quarterback years ago for Denver, that was a championship caliber team lacking yes, the quarterback. Yeah. This is not right. a championship caliber team lacking the quarterback. This is a team. Lacking players and playmakers
1: throughout on both sides of the ball. Yeah. They, and, you know, they'll have a above average defense and they have some skill positions, some nice young players. Noah Fantwin healthy is pretty good. Cortland Sutton has proven he's a pro He's good. KJ Hamler has speed. He's shown flashes. Uh, Jerry Judy's he's a phenomenal route runner, but he can't catch the ball. There's some there. You don't have a running game. Your, your offensive line is better than what it has been. It's still not great. And to be honest, you're coached by one of the worst coaches in the NFL.
0: Enough said. And you made your point. And, Obviously uh, being the Browns fan uh, the first round has always been a big part of being a Browns fan because of what they are. And of course the the draft being in Cleveland this year it was interesting to watch, even in mm-hmm. a, a pandemic situation where not everybody could be there and Of course, the Browns came away with Greg Newsom in the first round, a cornerback. The Browns defense has been totally remade with new players we 'll see where it leads. Uh, we know about the offense, and the offense got better last season as the season goes on uh, i got to get your your uh, your opinion here because this is a player that you know very well, and Jeremiah Osa uh, Komwa, who uh, became the uh, second round pick for the Browns, the linebacker, uh, defensive back uh, hybrid type player, uh, coming out of Notre Dame. JOK, talk about him.
1: Yeah, I you're going to love him, uh, and I know I'm being biased. In the NFL nowadays, and we talked about this in previous podcasts before. The Cleveland Browns, when they make the playoffs are are going to probably ha- – well, they're going to face the Ravens twice a year, and they got a nice son of Mark Andrews, who led the NFL in red zone touchdowns uh, two years ago. You're going to face Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs, and we saw Travis Kelsey this year against the Browns in the playoffs. Um, if they get to face the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, they're going to have to face the Buccaneers. they got O.J. Howard and still Rob Gronkowski, who's not what he used to be, but still – and the playoffs, we saw what Rob Gronkowski can do. In the NFL, you need somebody. I hate the word tweener. I love the word you used, hybrid. He can do multiple things. He can cover out of the backfield. He, he he needs to get a little bit stronger, but he's going to have that in the NFL. The Browns have a very good weight program. He can cover. He can stop the run. He's a good blitzer, and with teams doubling, you know, Garrett. And shading to Clowney's side. The Browns are going to need exotic blitz packages. And what I like is he's always around the football. And it's, it's most evident by two plays this year against Clemson in their first matchup, where Clemson's in a shotgun set to a single back to the right of uh, DJ Ongale. And they run a toss pitch. And before the ball is even released, Owusu Koromoa is in ETN's face. Now, this is the ACC's all time leading rusher, not ACC's all time leading scorer. He is in his face. The play is sniffed out. He picks the ball out of the air and returns it for a touchdown. If for the sheer fact ETN catches the ball, he is going to get lit up and either going to be stopped for a loss or – and be third and long, or it's going to be a fumble, and you're backed up. He's on Amari Rogers in the slot, and they run a crossing pattern to get guys in space, and Koromoa comes up behind him and strips the football, and Notre Dame recovers. He's going to come with a chip on his shoulder because a lot of teams passed on him. I tell you what. The Browns, I think, have the potential to have a contender for NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in Coromoa. I'm going to make a prediction, too. Not only will they have one in JOK, they might have two because that Newsom is a stud. He is an absolute stud. And. I know people don't watch Northwestern football outside of the one or two games they play against Ohio State, maybe. He is a stun. He's a lockdown corner that can play man. Again, he's a hybrid. He can play man. He can play zone. And I know they lost this football game. But turn on the tape against Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. He suffocated those receivers, suffocated them. I think he picked off fields or. If not, he made life 11. I think Fields only had 150 yards passing. You know, yeah. I know he did it all by himself. But when you slow down Ohio State to 150 yards passing, you're doing something great as a DB because you got so much skill talent on that offense.
0: Oh, there's the no question that I thought the Browns a stud. Yeah, I thought the Browns had a, a, an excellent uh, three days. Of making moves uh, up and down in the draft, uh, securing picks for next season, and mm-hmm. uh, making picks—you know, moving up to get JOK and uh, making two picks in the fourth round to get an offensive tackle and a uh, defensive tackle. So I thought they did a, a you know, really thorough job of. St- really targeting certain players and making the plays to get them. I we're seeing an organization kind of grow up in the last two, three seasons with the Browns and it started when they had the draft for Baker Mayfield. And let's face it. I was the first to say it. uh, Baker Mayfield was not my first choice at quarterback. And here's my fifth choice. If we yeah. remember when we did the, the yeah. preview, and by the way, thank you for all who downloaded the the little preview I made uh, last week or two weeks ago going into the draft. It uh, it had a nice response. So I again, I thank everybody for that uh, once again. But here's the truth of the matter: is we won't know like I I talk about anything until training camp gets here and the full and the season begins. But on paper, and how they rebuilt this defense. It should be a really interesting season coming up here defensively for the Browns. And if this team can shed 10 points off its total from last year and the offense stays at the level that it was at the end of the season, it can be a very competitive year where uh, 11 wins that they had last year could be just a starting point. And that's I'll say the that- truth. We'll just have to, I mean, that's all analytical, that's all on paper. You know, every game has to be played. Every game has to. You have to make you know decisions within a game, but the AFC North is going to be really competitive. It really is between I think uh, Baltimore and Cleveland with Pittsburgh uh, being Pittsburgh.
1: I don't think you need to shave ten points off. I think you need you can shave seven because you're getting Beckham back, and he's an explosive player. Your offense, like you mentioned, should continue to develop and get better. Uh, the The thing I really like about Newsom and JOK, they don't need to come in right away and be studs. All they got to do is be good football players because the Browns are at a point now where they are not relying on them to be. The game changer. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. They can come in, learn from veterans, you know, Miles, Garrett, Jadavion, Clowney, you know, they can learn from all the other guys. And they can be just football players. They don't. They don't have the weight of the world on their shoulders.
0: Well, I'll say this: uh, Andrew Barry and his team of evaluators and the coaching staff—they definitely this offseason was aggressive, trying to address some of the issues that they, they identified last season. That it was pretty identifiable for most fans too of mm-hmm. uh, what was going on and they addressed it this off season. Uh, We won't know until training camp and until the season begins and a 17 week season this year, uh, exactly where it comes all, you know, how it all comes out. However, boy, I tell you what, it's weird seeing a professional organization run professionally and done properly in Cleveland for the Browns it has been 20 years of mismanagement. And for the first time, in a long time you really feel confident about those who are in charge making decisions you know barry leading the way uh at you know at head coach making his input you know the defensive coordinator and him making his input on players and what they were looking for uh, they were in on you know on some of the major free agents this year so it was a uh it was a very, in my opinion, a very successful off season for the Browns. And we'll just have to wait until August when the training camp really, you know, swings into gear and we'll, we'll be able to evaluate them now. Then until then it's like I said, on paper looks great, but you know, paper championships are, are what they're written on. They're not yeah. worth the damn thing. Uh, but yeah. Accumulating talent is what all sports are about. Hey, Anthony, let's, um, Let's take a break here. Yes. And let me uh, bring in Brian Barnish from the USF. I was about to do it again. The US AFL. Uh, he's the media director, uh, media consultant. He's also the play-by-play guy for their streams. Uh, Brian was a great guest. I hope you enjoy this. We're going to talk some AFL with you, uh, with Brian Barnish and uh, his experiences in the US AFL. As promised, it's now time to bring in Brian Barnish from the U.S. AFL. Uh, He is the media manager of the U.S. AFL, and he's also the play-by-play commentator for some of the games. So uh, this is great for me because I I – I think it's probably the most challenging sport to call on air because of the so many players on the field at one time. Um, and anyways, that's just my talk ahead of time. <laughs> let's find out about Brian first. Brian, welcome to Radio MVP. G'day, Tim. How's it going, mate? I am doing well. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, so let's let's start at the beginning, if you don't mind. Let's just talk about when did you find the game? And how did you get involved? Let's just kind of get those two right off the bat.
2: So I found about the sport in 1995. I was 13 or 14 years old. I came home from school one day. And um, Sports Channel, that was the, the there wasn't, uh, I mean, there was ESPN, but there was also Sports Channel Network. And they, at like three or four o'clock on Friday afternoons, they showed uh, AFL highlights, uh, like an hour-long highlight show of Aussie rules football. And I saw that and, uh, I was hooked immediately. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I, and I was a big sports fan growing up, um, you know, growing up here in Philadelphia, uh, you know, big flyers fan, big, uh, uh, uh Phillies fan, my dad, uh, you know, watched basically all the sports and I got interested in things that I didn't see all the time, like rugby and eventually cricket. And, and now Aussie rules football. So I followed that, um, You know, through my teenage years, uh, it was kind of difficult to do that um, because the internet wasn't as prevalent. Um, But within about by by 2000 or so, you could start to listen to the games online. And it, it was pretty prohibitive to watch the games online because they would put them on some like back alley, like, uh, satellite channels. So I would listen to the games online. And so that's kind of how I picked up, uh, you know, uh, the flow of the game and, and whatnot. So I, you know, probably had listened to, I mean, now it's, it's a little bit different, but I think I had listened to games live for about 10 years before I finally watched my first game live on television. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so I, I, uh, I had listened to it for years and years and I would listen to, you know, uh, stay up until like two o'clock in the morning, listening to the matches from Melbourne, you know, getting up early, listening to the matches, uh, you know, from, from Melbourne and from, and from Perth, because they would start a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, in 2007. You know, I had known that there was a USAFL because the USAFL was founded in 1997. And I knew there was a league. I'd known there was a league for years. But to me, it was, even though it was an amateur league, it was still like this big, lofty thing. And I was like, I don't know if I would ever get involved, but maybe one day I'll go out and watch a game. Well, I had come across that uh, the Philadelphia Hawks, which is the team here, was hosting a grand final night. The grand final is like their Super Bowl. Um, It's played at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. One hundred thousand fans. They they shut down the city on Friday. They give everybody a holiday the day before the match. And um, it was so the Hawks every year had a had a watch. Party and it was held at uh, at a bar in town. Uh, it was at a um, we'll just just say it's a well known uh, American chain uh, restaurant. We'll leave it at that on this particular year. And um, my wife and I went, and I was expecting to just kind of go sit in the corner and watch, and that was the end of it. Well, players, excuse me, players from the Hawks came over, and were you know who are, who are you? What are you doing here? How did you find out about footy? And and so are asking me all these questions, and then invariably they said well you should come out and play with us next year and i'm not a very good athlete which is why i do the commentary but um but they said um i said listen i run like a pregnant giraffe you don't want me uh they said no we don't care like come out so i came out the following year and 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 that's a story in and of itself i uh I, I was standing off to the side like I, I'd showed up. I really didn't have any sort of intention to play. And the coach, uh, John Loring, came over and said, uh, you know, hi, introduced himself and said, see those guys over there wearing the ratty uh, Geelong jumpers, the Geelong Cats uniforms? Uh, go learn their names because in 10 minutes you're going to be on their team. Okay um i played that one it was like an intra squad game it was a nine aside intra squad game and then um when we were done john came up to me and said oh barish what did you you think of the game i said i enjoyed it thanks for letting me play he said yeah good thanks a lot um say what are you doing in three weeks i said i don't know why he said um our first game of the season is in raleigh north carolina we're going to get on a bus and travel down eight hours to go play this team in in north carolina you want to come i said what, to watch? He said, no, to play, dummy. I said, well, don't I have to try out to be on the team? He said, all right, here's your tryout. Did you have fun? Yeah. Do you want to play again? Yeah, you're on the team. Um, So that's that's what I did. Um, I became club secretary for a few years. I basically established our uh, social media presence. I started doing the game write-ups for the Hawks. I, and, and, you know, we're really, we're a relatively small community and we were an even smaller community 10, 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, we would play Boston, New York, DC. So i made a lot of friends on, on those teams as well, because, you know, I mean, you want to win, but it's, the camaraderie is fantastic and a couple of them were on the board they saw the work that i was doing here and um they were kind enough to reach out to me and say hey we would love for you to be doing this at the national level and the rest is history i've been doing it since 2014 and i'm still chugging along uh even even with a even with a little one in tow now
0: (laughs) that is a fantastic
2: story uh
0: i i love that story now just a little background on myself Uh, Mm -hmm. i'm a little bit older than you um and uh i actually saw the games when espn was uh well first showing the games back about
2: 1980
0: Mm -hmm. and it would just blew my mind away i was actually about the same age you were when you found it Mm -hmm. and i uh was shocked that you know i remember hearing bob league uh, stay tuned for australian rules football coming up next i'm you know here i am uh you know a 13 year old uh getting ready to go to school and my parents was like what are you doing and i'm like i don't know football games coming on i'm going to see what it's look like you know (laughs) at like two in the morning
2: too you're just like "Uh, go to bed you know it's that sort of thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's not even that it was probably about that's 637 in the morning because oh, it was wow. tape delay yeah, and yeah. it was just ESPN filling time, yeah. at, you know, in the mornings before they really went full time.
2: And, and it's funny that you mentioned that, not, not to interrupt, but it's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of our teams uh, were founded and, and, and not just by, you know, Australian expats that, that wanted to, like, grow the game here but by Americans who like you had grown up with the game in the eighties. And when they, you know, when they heard that there was a league forming and where there were teams forming in their city, they didn't care that they were, you know, a lot of them were past their prime by that point, but there were a lot that say, Hey, I want to give this a go. And, and and the for- foundation of the club, in addition, like I said, all those Australians were people like you who who really loved the game and wanted to give it sort of that that push on the American side.
0: Yeah, and so, anyways, that's how I was exposed to it. I was just my my jaw dropped when I first seen them dribble a bass or dribble a football like a basketball, you know, running down uh, an oval that's three hundred yards long, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, running and kicking and jumping on people's backs and uh, you know, running into everybody. And I'm like, this is absolutely crazy and i remember a few of my schoolmates would uh talk about it and say hey did you see this yeah i'm like that and we're all just amazed by what we were watching and so espn had as you probably know uh over the years in and out love affair with uh with uh footy Mm -hmm. and uh as the 80s went along and they got uh, more americanized programming the international program went away and and quite honestly so did my my interest cuz i didn't didn't see it no more out and of sight went, out of mind exactly and then you know once in a great while it would come back into into play and all of a sudden like oh yeah no i got to watch that and it was about i don't know 5 years ago or so i happened to be on fox uh, sports app and I was uh, streaming the, the Cleveland Indians game and a banner came up that said, mm-hmm. you know, uh, AFL game at midnight. And I'm like, AFL, what the hell is that? You know? And, and it didn't dawn on me. I said, I clicked on it. I says, Oh my God, it's, it's Australian rules football. I haven't seen this in years. And then boom, I was hooked again. And yeah. it was, you know, one of those things. And ever since I've been uh, reaching out to, Oh, since I've started this podcast about three or four years ago uh, about just different people who cover the, the the sport either in australia or you know in america and just mm-hmm. finding out how they found it and what's going on and um it has been a uh, it's been a real passion for me for the last about four or five years and uh, I, of course uh, i have the afl watch app and uh you know watch all the games that i can even uh, on delay in a sense because of the time differences but Yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing experience. Matter of fact, um, later this week, I actually have uh, a young woman named
2: Julia coming on Montesano. Julia, I do know Julia, actually. So Julia, Julia is... um, (laughs) I haven't called with her yet and um I met her um I I I well I, I don't think I've met her yet. We we talked when I was in Australia so she is a very good young caller. Yes um, she is. And um I think she's, she, um, so she calls games for, um, for women's Australian rules, football radio, uh, which my, my good friend, Peter Holden has organized, uh, on and they, they do weekend and week out on a, uh, on a volunteer basis is what they call those VFLW games. Um, Julia and Lucy Walkin, uh, Lauren Borden is another one They're I, and I'm, you know, it's it's great to hear like different voices i mean you know people you know hearing an american voice calling it is pretty great but i think um not just in footy but but i believe in all sports not just you know here in the us right. but around the world we need more you know female callers i mean we mm-hmm. need we need good callers but the three of them do fantastic job with the footy yeah.
0: She really does. I, I got to see, or actually listen and see one that uh, was on a YouTube about two three weeks ago, and yep. it was just she's she's fantastic. I knew she was good mm-hmm. because um, another person you may know and talked to is uh, Gemma Bastiani.
2: Yes i know gemma um in fact i asked her uh, in fact she came on our VFL. i'm sorry our aflw um preview show uh, right. not too long ago yes gemma is probably one of the best minds in terms mm. of like statistically and everything for the for for the women's game and um she's another one like just yeah, absolutely so does savant. does fan-up job yeah
0: she's like a savant when it comes to footy and uh really truly i've uh, i she's been terrific with me over the years uh coming on uh radio mvp uh talking about not just women's footy but uh the men's competition and Mm. just everything in general i mean it's been a, a really a nice friendship that has been built over the last few years with her and that's basically how i uh reached out to julia because they did the podcast together previewing the the, the aflw this past year and uh I, more i heard her more i wanted to when i found out that she was calling games i had to find out so let's get into that let's talk about you mentioned how you you got into the the media side of the game uh technically speaking and this is just me i i've done football i've done baseball done basketball here in in the united states obviously in america mm-hmm. um Doing a footy game where there's 18 players on each side, how do you keep track? How do you doing this? Because that, Uh, to me, is the most amazing part of calling a game. Uh, And I'm going to ask Julia the exact same thing because, you know, I have my charts in football, which are great in American football or in basketball. I have a roster and I have a score sheet, which really helps out quite a bit. And and those who don't know – just found out the easiest way to do a game but my point is uh the action of a australian rules football game
2: and to know 36 players at one time is shocking to me Uh, And you'll probably get a better answer out of Julia than you will me just because I've seen her preparations for the for the matches and she has everything down to like what color boots they wear to what um, to like what if they have ribbons in their hair or if they do like a bun or a ponytail when she does women's games uh, at the very least I've seen her women's her her VFLW um, uh, sheets and it's pretty detailed and um, but um, it's honestly knowing the players and doing the, the same player, the same teams on a fairly regular basis helps. Now I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because um, we have so many teams here in the States and we have just for anybody who doesn't know, we have 48 clubs. Um, some teams are bigger than others. And, and, you know, I, when we have a, our normal non COVID season, um i do the three regional tournaments uh and i see every team just about every team at least once so um and not only that the people that have been around for a long time the the, you know the players that have been around you know 15 years like my have i know um i know the the national team players but I know like the women's for me is pretty easy because there aren't that many teams. There's, I mean, there's 27 women's teams, but I think in terms of, you know, there's maybe I think six or seven or eight full teams. And then the other teams that are there, they're usually made up of about eight or nine women that combine with other teams. Um, And I've, as you have with, with the community over in Australia, I've forged a lot of friendships here. So I know, I know most of the women, I know a good deal of the men. Um, I know, I guess there are, there's more teams, so I don't know them as much. Um, The other side is, I mean, heading into this, I knew the, you know, seven, eight years ago, I knew the East coast teams more because I had grown up uh, with, I had, I had come through the the Hawks. So I'd known that. Um, So uh, it's, I mean, you try and prepare as much as you can, um, you know, the players that, uh, um, You know especially the players in the in in the midfield that generally get a lot of touches you you pick them up pretty quickly um you know it's it's also difficult depending on where you are i mean the footy ground as you mentioned is is pretty big i mean it's it's up to 200 yards long by 120 yards wide um and i learned pretty quickly that i couldn't do it without i mean you can see i wear glasses um I couldn't do it without a, a set of binoculars. The first time I tried doing it at a, we were at the uh, cricket ground in Waterhill, Florida, just outside of Fort Lauderdale. And we were in the conference room, which is where, because it was like in the center of the ground um, behind like soundproof glass. So not only could I couldn't see anything, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't oh, hear any of the whistles. And so um it became apparent that anything that went on the other side of the, the central line of the field, I was guessing, like I could, like I could barely see it. Not only that, but the the first particular tournament, the sun was going down and that nobody had brought any yellow football. So I was having trouble tracking the ball. And finally, the, the president of the league, uh, Dennis Ryan at the time said to me, you did a really good job. We're going to buy you a set of binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> so, And, and the thing is, and that's the other thing is that, you know, I, I also learned after one or two sets of binoculars that, um, the wider lens, not, you know, zooming in is one thing, but the wider lens is very helpful because there's a lot of things going on within, you know, 10 yards of the Mm -hmm. ball that you can, that you wouldn't be able to see if you're zoomed in. So that's the one thing is that, is, you know, trying to like trying to become as familiar as you can with the players. And and it's just a matter of repetition. I mentioned uh, just before you hit the record button there that I had called games for the international cup, uh, which is kind of like our version of the world cup. Uh, It's every three years. It was supposed to be held last year. It wasn't. Um, But uh, when I was there in 2017, I was coming in pretty cold. I mean, I knew the American players. I knew the Canadian players. I knew some of the other, some of the other countries as well. But I got thrown into a game's last minute. I got thrown into a game between Croatia and Japan. Like literally I just showed up like five minutes before the game. I looked at the score sheet and I went, let's see what happens. (laughs) Um, And, and and so, and, but eventually again, I mean, that's the thing. It's not like, I mean, footy is about the same pace as hockey, but the difference with hockey is, you know, they're wearing helmets. You can't really, I mean, I'm saying they look the same, but I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit harder to discern player to player, whereas in footy, you can generally tell different sizes, different, different, uh, you know, hairstyles, things like that. I mean, you pick up different boots. I mean, you pick up on different things. Um, so, that I mean, that's the biggest thing. And then in terms of calling the action, I mean, because it is so fast, I... Uh, I, I mentioned Peter a while ago. Um, I was pretty relatively slow and relatively deliberate. you know. And I had listened to guys like Rex Hunt uh, call games for many years. Rex is my favorite. I mean, just simply mm-hmm. because some of the stuff he said, man. I mean, I, I've been listening this week just because I've been itching to get back into it. I've been listening to a lot of games that he called in the 90s. And he gave like these almost like coded nicknames for the players. Like um, there was a guy by the name of Paul Daffy, and they he called him the Duck. Um, there was a guy um, Troy Makepeace; he called the Mediator. You know, just random right. nicknames like right. that, kind of kind of like Chris Berman. Um, but um, I I was relatively like more deliberate. And then I called a game with Peter Holden. And Peter, if you've ever listened to him, I mean, he usually does games with Julia he calls games pretty rapid fire. And he and I called the first game we called at the 2016 nationals. He had come over to cover, to help cover the women's competition for us. And he went, you know, he, he did the rapid fire, like ball in the back line. He handballs it over to Smith. Smith kicks it up in the near side, the Johnson Johnson able to dodge one tackle. And I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to keep up with this guy? So I tried and it's completely ruined me because now even the problem is I do it even by myself, Like even when I don't have a a color commentator with me is I get into that habit of doing that, completely forgetting that I have like seven more games to call that day. So (laughs) I, I run into that issue, but it's just a matter of seeing what you're just saying what you're seeing and it's almost like you don't even think about it you're just kind of trying to describe it but also at the same time be descriptive but also not be monotonous and also not be repetitive but you know informative but but and concise but also at the same time try and be listen you know somebody will want to listen to you and be able to follow along with the play
0: Yeah, you hit it on the button. That is what sports broadcasting, in my eyes, has always been about, is is communicating the action to the listener and keeping them informed and entertained at the same time. And it's a challenge. And like I said, there's no other game I know out there that could challenge a broadcaster more than Australian Rules Football or Footy uh, just because of the, the vast size of the field the amount of players involved and the amount of action that's going on within well the entire uh, quarter that each quarter is played in it's just it's an amazing sport on that level because not only do you have the bounce of the ball you have uh, the handball you have the the short kick the marks the miss marks the the uh really the turnovers the interceptions the whole thing and it is it is just reacting to the play yeah i i totally understand that completely uh i'm I mean, fortunate i mean to... my...
2: go ahead i'm sorry i'm saying my my i was i was fortunate i mean i hockey growing up was my first was my first love um, right you know my dad used that. to my dad used to i mean i grew up I mean, my first memory was the Flyers losing to uh, Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers in '87, mm-hmm. and and I still strongly dislike Gretzky to this day for breaking my kindergartner heart back then. But I was lucky to grow up in a town with Gene Hart as the play-by-play announcer, mm-hmm. and I and again YouTube, I go back and listen to to him call, and just you know, Gene was a kind of guy who literally, I don't think he had any. You know, no formal training in it, just like I, I mean, I didn't have any sort of formal training either. Um, literally got pulled off of a basketball court in New Jersey because somebody there was a, a guy, I guess one of his teammates, one of his um, uh, colleagues and he, he was a high school teacher in Atlantic city was desperately trying to find somebody to call a game in, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, a minor league hockey game. And he said he would do it. And then, you know, so he did a couple of years of minor league hockey. And then when the Flyers came along in 67, he just like submitted some tapes and said, you know, I'm probably not going to get the job because they're probably going to want like, like somebody more experienced. And the Flyers didn't want to spend a, a lot of money to bring in, you know, somebody from Canada or somebody who had done it. So they were like, Hey, he's done a couple of years. Let's, let's bring yeah. him on. And he was very, he was like, you're, you're, your, portly uncle that you would watch games with and 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 he's he he sounded so casual when he did it like just so easy and flowing and just time rapid fire delivery and and even when the flyers didn't do well like if there was if like Gretzky would come in and score five goals in a game he rejoiced in it disappointed that it happened against his own team but just say listen give it up for him because you're not going to see something like this so that's the thing and I don't, you know, it, it's the same concept. And then when he stepped down, they brought in Mike Emmerich. Uh, and so I got to listen to, to Emmerich. And, and to me, I you know, em, Emmerich just not only, I mean, I, I don't, my preparation is not as good as Emmerich's, but like I look at what he does and just not only how he approaches the game, but how he approaches the sport. I mean, he just is such an affable guy. I mean, I, I mean, I would love, you know, heart's dead. I would love to meet him someday, yeah. uh, Emmerich, but um. But, but, but yeah, I was lucky to grow up and and Harry Callis and guys like that too. So I, I had a lot of like, a lot of like yeah. influences coming in, but, but it's the same concept as hockey is just, is just, Things happen so quickly and you have to react to it. And a lot of people and a lot of people, some people struggle with it and that's fine because, you know, but, but I've watched the sport enough and I've, and I've listened to it enough to kind of know how the game should sound, or at least in my mind, how the game should sound. So, so it's, it's a matter of just kind of adjusting to, you know, seeing what's here and then, and then, you know, translating it to what comes out here.
0: Yeah. There's no question about it. That is, uh, broadcasting sports broadcasting 101 in a lot of ways and we were um in my opinion our, our generation and my generation a little before you and you when you came up uh listening to sports we had some uh, amazing amazing people who were doing it Uh, And stories like you just mentioned about getting first jobs and uh, it was a different world back then. And they took chances on people who made sense for them because, A, like I said, they were local and they didn't cost and they didn't have to do that. I remember, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Ohio at all, but uh, Joe Tate. Uh, a basketball legend, a broadcaster Mm -hmm. uh, for the Cavaliers Mm -hmm. uh, talked about when he got the job, he actually got it because many years earlier, Bill Fitch, who was the first coach of the, of the Cavaliers, uh, he was uh, a coach at the college that he went to. Mm -hmm. And he was the, 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 the student doing games. Mm-hmm. And, and got to know him and this and that and then when he came to cleveland they were looking for someone mm-hmm. and he recommended them and yeah. i remember him telling the uh, joe tate telling the story uh basically telling his wife at the time that yeah i'm going to take this job even though it's less money than we're making right now mm-hmm. and it was like a hundred dollars a game or you know maybe less than that uh and yeah, that's just the way it was. And he became, of course, one of the, the great NBA uh, broadcasters of his, uh, his era. Yeah. And, and that's just the way it worked. And, and, and today, like you said, it's a lot different, mm-hmm. but it's just opportunities. And if you get it, no matter what you're doing, that's all that matters. And, uh, you know, like yourself, sometimes you just, you know, meet the right people, the right time and the right opportunity comes about. And that's all that, that's all you can ask for and, and see what happens.
2: Yeah, I I mean if you would have told me at the beginning, you know, and in, in when I when I first stepped on a field in 2008 that this is what I would be doing 13 years later and I would still be like in the middle of it. I mean, I I knew that I wasn't going to be playing terribly long and I did last 7 seasons without getting, you know, too too harmed physically. Um, but I I remember at the end of that uh, thinking to myself, what's the next step going to be? Like I considered coaching, I considered getting into umpiring and um i didn't know that this was an option until until um drea cassius and, and mike mike um Shepard with the league approached me with this and and you know the the other side of that is is that i feel like um you know i i say this in 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 humility as i i you know i was like how am i going to like like <laughs> There really wasn't a whole lot of social. I mean, there was social media presence, but right. um, the the my predecessor uh, with that was more about the I guess the PR side, um, whereas I, you know, coming into the role was like, OK, we don't have a whole lot of reporting about the games that are going on. We don't have a whole lot of I mean, we didn't have other than Bill Robert up in Boston uh, who, you know, produces stateside footy. Um, you know, we didn't have any American callers that had any sort of—I mean, other than people that would step in for a game or two at nationals and do, you know, an admirable job. But people who weren't doing it on a regular basis, and and that's where I came in. Um, you know, we didn't have any any like interviewers. We didn't have mm-hmm. any like we didn't have any any broadcasting experience at the time. And right. the good news is, is we've had a lot of people step up and say, "Hey, I'd I'd like to give it a go." And um, you know, it's but but i uh, again it's just i did, found things other because again you know i'm i knew that contributing to the sport would not be you know the, the best way for me to contribute to the sport would not be taking up space on the field it would be doing something that i my skill set Better fit into, and um, obviously, you know, this has been it's it's been a dream to be able to do this. And as my you know, I the the commentary is my favorite part, but it's only. I mean, I don't do it that often because we, you know, we don't play that often, and 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 um, I you know, in in, in at least in terms of like the scale that it would that it would justify the cost to be able to broadcast games on a, on a on a decent enough scale. But yeah, I mean, I'm I don't know what who did, who who what 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 I did, I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful for all the people I've gotten to meet along the way and all the experiences I've had. And I've always wanted to go to Australia and I got to go to Australia. And that's fantastic. Because of this. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's talk about the
0: USF. USAFL, excuse me. Um, you mentioned there's 48 teams across the nation. Just take a moment and just talk about the different regions. Uh, I'm in Ohio, so I'm in Northeast Ohio, so Western Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, maybe Western New York. What, what type of teams are out this way?
2: Well um there was a team uh in Cleveland uh the Cleveland cannons which uh, unfortunately have been dormant for the last couple of years. Um, we're hoping to get somebody back in there uh somebody get some interest there so that the club starts back up again um there are um there are two clubs in ohio so i guess for where you are the closest established club would be in uh, columbus that's the columbus cats um and they've been around about 10 years uh they are uh they've bounced up and down between division two and division three the women's side uh has had a small but hearty uh group uh led by my good friend stephanie mckittrick who is uh Entering uh, what would be her eleventh season this year, uh, played in Western Australia, came back here and started playing. Um, you've got the Cincinnati Dockers, who are a part of a larger USAFL club called the Ohio Valley River Rats, which are made up of players from Cincy, Louisville, and um, and Indianapolis. Um, and then um, Pittsburgh does not have a team yet. However, there is a group of uh, they did many years ago the uh, pittsburgh wallabies but there's a group there that is um trying to get started again uh they're planning on having uh just informal trainings and kick around sessions uh as you know during the course mm-hmm. of the summer in the hopes of in a year or two you know becoming an, a full official usafl side they're still a little farther away um That's on, on, unfortunately, that's about it in terms of where you are in in the country. And, you know, there are places, it's kind of feast or famine in a lot of places. Um, You know, I'm lucky in Philadelphia, because uh, we've got New York, which is two hours away, we have baltimore and dc which is uh two two and a half hours away from us we have boston which is five hours away we have north carolina and columbus which are eight hours away um so you know uh generally the teams play um you know uh they they'll play about eight nine dates a game and there are in or a season instances during the course of the season uh, where uh, it's it's pretty common where instead of one team going to play another team and then playing a full four quarter game that three or four teams will meet in one city and they'll play a series of shorter games games that are only like 35 or 40 minutes long and and have like an like an unofficial little tournament Um, so it's it's more common to see that and when you get to the regional level and the nationals level uh, all of our games are played as these 40 minute lightning games uh, that there's the trend to be focused more on that than the full on 80, 80 minute game. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it depends also, again, uh, you know, with the teams on the East coast, they generally play in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 games. Um, a lot of the clubs on the West coast, they play about the same, but um It it depends on like where that like Southern California, we have three teams, San Diego, LA and Orange County. Um, There's two teams in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle and Portland. We've got Golden Gate and San Jose and I'm sorry, in Sacramento. Now, the focus as well is some of these clubs are a little bit bigger, like, for example, Golden Gate is actually uh, a basically a representative side of five smaller teams Um, they have their own league during the course of the year they take the best players and that's the golden gate ruse right um the the that is eventually an ideal model um new york has three or four teams that they play into a feeder system with a with a top tier side and and a and a tier b side um but a lot of clubs across the country usually just have you know 25 players and so they'll play like i was talking about before almost like a like a scrimmage series where it'll be like two teams and they'll play like a best of five or something like that um i've I've kind of strayed from your question but it's like i said it's sort of hit or miss i think um we've got a lot of teams coming up in the southeast um people like wayne kraska based in atlanta uh you know helping to develop clubs and uh, Rome, Georgia and Savannah and Jacksonville and uh, Memphis is coming into hopefully going to come into the league in the next year or so. Um, you know, Texas now has four sides. So it's it's spread out in a lot of places, but in some places it's there's there's a lot. It's a little bit more concentrated and and that's where you see things really booming.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense to play those um uh yeah, 45 40 45 minute games and mm-hmm. and tournament style and you know because let's face it these are not uh, pro athletes these are people right. who love the game and uh know, yeah, it's a way to like you said to promote the game and also just to learn the game to, uh, what's do you have any idea what the the medium age of most of the players are or what the age range maybe that's a better uh question
2: well um <laughs> I think the, the, the minimum age is 16 and um, we've have players that are in the 17, 18 range. Um, They're not as prevalent and we've got players as old as 60, 61, 62 playing. Um, The record on the women's side, I know for a fact is 54. Uh, So there's that. I would say I would, the median age is probably somewhere in like the, late twenties, early thirties. I mean, there are guys who, and it's a lot of Australians. I mean, these are guys that have played in their youth and, you know, now they, Mm -hmm. now, now they work here in the U S and they'll play into their, into their, you know, forties and their fifties and whatnot. So, so uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, but, but it really is a league for anyone. I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your ability level is. It doesn't matter what your athletic background is. If you want to come and have a kick with us by all means. Yeah. Curiosity. Uh, Any, any
0: real uh, factor that uh, Mason Cox being an American in Australia, playing the game at the highest level uh, has any influence in seeing more players here, or is that just, he's a a, kind of a unique uh,
2: unicorn that, that, that exists, you know, uh, It's interesting because, you know, we have had people be like, hey, you know, this is actually a really cool story and then start to learn more about the sport. Um, I mean, I think it's made somewhat of an impact, if nothing else. um, You know, he was a product of the uh, Combine um uh, that the afl held in los angeles every year for about three four years it's the same one that produced jason holmes who was mason cox's predecessor in terms of being the first born and raised american to play in the afl um and so when you know when coxie made his debut it also happened to be in the middle of this combine in 2016 and so the best part about that was is that you had this live tangible evidence of saying, hey, you know, the, this guy started out exactly where you were And these college kids who, you know, who their choice if they wanted to keep playing was to play like, uh, you know, play arena ball for arena football or play, you know, uh, minor league basketball or go to Europe and play there. And now this is like a top level professional, you know, playing in front of eighty thousand people every week, you know, getting paid good, decent money to play a sport. And you know, here is this guy who, again, walk on basketball player, and his first kick of the football in his very first game in front of ninety thousand people in a nationally televised game. And he kicks a goal, and you know, I think he's had a very inconsistent career. But, I mean, I don't think if you would have said in 2016, if you would have said this guy's going to play, you know, almost 100 games in the AFL, I think a lot of people would have would have taken you up on that bet. But um, I I think that it's I think it's honestly, like I said, there have been people who have looked at it and said, hey, you know, this is actually a really cool story. Um, What I will say, it's helped us because his two brothers, um, Austin and Nolan, play in the US AFL, um, which is. Uh, really cool because i don't i don't think they knew about the sport either until until mason started playing it mm-hmm. and um nolan is probably one of the best ruckman in the country austin's a good solid uh consistent player for the for uh, the seattle team uh for the grizzlies so um but but you know he he didn't come up through our system, but we've adopted him as one of oh, our sure. own just because of it. And, um, you know, the hope is, is that eventually that, uh, you know, we have players who have come up through our system uh, and have played um uh, state level football. And the, the one uh, most prominent one who unfortunately passed away last summer was Alex Arriccio, uh who played for the New York Magpies, went and played for uh, what was then the Northern Blues, uh, bounced around, played in the Queensland, played for South uh, South Adelaide in the uh, uh, Sandville. Um, and so, uh, I mean, there are guys that come up and, and, and hopefully to start in our system and then go over there and work their way up. So um, yeah, I think overall he's had, he has had an influence. I, you know, probably not as big as, as maybe we would hope, but uh, what he's done over there has helped us as a league.
0: I think it's, it's an interesting story that gets publicity. Every you know, I mean, maybe every year or every other year type scenario since he's been there, uh, either in the New York Times or uh, maybe in the Athletic as the uh, as a sports outlet or ESPN or whatever it may be. And I think that's. I'm just curious if there was that many players that are. You know, into the game for the first time since yeah, I happened to watch him play and made me kind of think about you know why why not try this game? It's it's mm-hmm. uniquely different and it is a, it's a special you know opportunity to play a, a game that really it's it's very um, Australian. This, in the sense, it's it's very much a part of that culture. Yeah, and it's grown. I know it's it's growing in Europe and especially in, in Ireland in the last mm-hmm. few years. And obviously it has footholds here and it's growing here, but it is also what I still call a novelty sport here because it just didn't get the consistent, exposure it necessarily needs at the highest level and i understand the 14 hour time differences and and everything that goes on with it and it's not the easiest thing to to manage if you're espn or fox or whoever it may be right and hopefully though some a major outlet will take a a more aggressive um look at the sport and build a little programming around it i think the more Uh, sports fans in America get educated to this game Mm -hmm. or they'll they'll enjoy it
2: and more they'll want to watch it. Well, I think the other, the other side of that is, I mean, in order for the, um, in in order for, for uh, it to get the exposure uh, that, that it needs, you know, you need, you need money. And, and in order to, for it to be on the same level as a lot of the other sports, it needs to be a significant investment. Now, where's that investment going to come from? If the AFL wants to grow the sport here, Mm -hmm. they have to sink the money into it. The problem is is that the game is, I'm not going to, say i mean well i mean now it is it's definitely struggling more than it was 18 months ago because of covid and that's i think one of the reasons why it took so long for a tv deal to get done here because um you know the, the budget to to pay for american tv rights is probably not as much as it was you know 18 months ago um but um uh, you know, can you? Ju- it's hard to justify when, especially when grassroots footy over there is struggling. It's it's hard to justify spending the money that they do to grow it at a professional level and on a large scale level. Uh, when when they're struggling, and they've been talking about, and we're you know we're probably now looking at another three four years down the road, they want to have a regular season game in Los Angeles, not a not an exhibition. They want to have a regular season game in Los Angeles. It's going to cost money to to construct a, a stadium of some sort because there's nothing uh, unless the you know uh, uh, the the folks that want right. to build all these cricket stadiums get their way. Um, you know that i mean that's that's not going to happen um but they also have to advertise the heck out of it because if they bring it over here and they don't give it any sort of plug or if they only give it locally then it's gonna it's gonna fail they're gonna need to spend the money to advertise it and and also i think it's got to be on Fox sports one. I would love to see it on big Fox, but that's I think a bridge too far. They have to put it on Fox sports one. It's got to be, I mean, if it's going to be in LA, it's got to be at, you know, eight o'clock at, on, on the Eastern time zone. It's got to be as, as visible and it's got to be as, you know, as, as appealing as it can be so that, you know, we're not talking, I mean, even if there's only like 15,000 people that it gets a lot of ratings and, and, and perhaps boosts things. Yeah, no,
0: I think you are correct and all your assessments there, by the way. I think that's a hundred percent. I do believe what the best way forward for the AFL and I have not talked to anybody in the AFL and I know mm-hmm. nothing other than my own observations um, is they, they need a true partnership. With a mm-hmm. broadcast outlet in America, whoever that may be—if it's Fox, mm-hmm. if it's ESPN, if it's possibly uh, Peacock and and NBC going forward, because they are not lo- are not going to have the NHL going forward, and they're going to be looking for programming. And I'm just you know yeah. throwing that as a possibility. Not that I know anything about that, but my point is, uh, yeah, whoever that partner is that's going to be they need a real partner not just someone who's broadcasting the games as a novelty or to fill in time or as a special event because of covid and we didn't have a lot of sports last year this time of year um and and that's a it's a tough tall order to to uh to have happen simply because let's face it there's a huge time difference and if you're fortunate enough in the east coast you can get a game around 10:30 or 11 uh, during the during this time of the year. But most of the games are overnight and if you're on the west coast that may work but you know for east coast viewers it's it's a late night game and that's well, that's difficult.
2: And that's the, one of the biggest things that they've been talking about for years, and I know you've you've heard it heard it too. Was they they were talking about moving the grand final to make it a night, an, an, an to a nighttime spot or a twilight spot, and they did it last year as an experiment. The problem with it is this: um, we talk about getting you know viewers and everything, and I th- and and th- it affects us at the at the USAFL level because I mentioned at the top about the AFL grand final parties. Philadelphia is not the only one that does it. Uh, The grand final is, you know, a major event just about everywhere in the country and footy clubs, Philadelphia and otherwise use it as their major uh, uh, fundraiser for the Mm -hmm. evening. And there's a lot of people such as myself who get introduced, not just to the team, but to the sport at an event like that. Now there are some clubs that for whatever reason, they decide that they want to share the game on tape delay. That's fine. But that's maybe about two clubs out of, the 35 or 40 that do that do events every year so to me and the other thing that bothers me and hopefully it'll change i mean it was different this year but everything was different is that they bury it on fox soccer plus which is a subscription service for different reasons i think part of it was is, is hd and and licensing and things like that but here nor there um the, the the so that's one of the reasons why I've been screaming about it was because if it's a night if it's a day grand final like it's been since the beginning of time it's a 12.30 start time on the East Coast. Bars are still open and bars will let you come in and watch the game and stay. Um, However, if the game is moved to a night grand final, like it was uh, in 2020, you're looking at a 4.30 a.m. first bounce and nobody is going to let you into the bar at 4.30 in the morning. I'm sorry. So um, the idea is, I mean, and, and, and a lot of people say, well, why don't you tape? the game and just show it that way well you know now you're taking the whole punch out of the evening the grand final as it is there here it's you know in in the usafo community is a happening it's an event it's something that you bring people friends and family around and and so i you know know, to go to the covid point um i i you know covid and the shutdown is probably one of the Best things that could have happened to the to the visibility of the sport. As much as I didn't want the AFL to go ahead in round one last year, I thought it was a terrible idea. But then it occurred to me once they started putting games on Fox Sports and Fox Sports Two, and there was no other sports happening, that people who were starved for sports were going to be like, you know, hey, this is live sport. We're gonna may, Mm -hmm. may as well put it on, and. I go looking on social media for people that are talking about, about the games when they are on Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2. And prior to round one of 2020, you know, you maybe interact with about 5, 10 people a game. You know, it's usually a little bit bigger. when it, it, It's biggest when it's on either Fox Sports 2 or Fox Sports 1. It's, the, it's definitely the biggest on Fox Sports 1. Um, within in that first, from that Thursday all the way through to Saturday night eastern time we gained something like 1200 twitter followers now at the time we were at about 3800 so that gives you an idea like we mm-hmm. we increased by by about a third and on the saturday night game it was i'm sorry the friday night game which was on fox sports 1 it was like a double header it was like a, it was like two games in a row on fox sports 1 and I didn't have to go looking for people because people were like tagging us and and like finding us and following us and 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 interacting with us. And it's it, it's it's honestly, and, and you know, there were people that were saying, well, you know, this you really shouldn't be celebrating this right now because there's more important things. And I thought, listen, if this is what happens out of it, like like we're giving people uh, you know, a, a chance to, to say, listen we're going to be back when this is done too so you know if you like what you see stick around because in a couple of months we'll be underway again and even when they when when the afl came back in in july in june and july and there still wasn't any american sports people were watching the afl and so a lot of the people that got behind us i'm i'm you know i i i can't give a hard number but i know of at least a dozen people and maybe two dozen who have stuck with us in some capacity um said that they want to get involved with the usafl and have done what you've done and that is to buy the you know the watch afl so that they're not they can watch it whenever they want not just mm-hmm. when it's on tv so um yeah it, it's whatever happens i think the idea is to try and commit to as much and somebody even today even even tonight brought it up uh, uh you know why is Fox Sports Two showing? uh, You know the uh what is it the 2015? Uh, I just have it here. It's something like the 2015 uh, uh, drone racing championships or something like that. It, right. it just is like the most random thing instead of the the games from the weekend. It's yeah. it's a, it's it's atrocious. But it comes down to money and and the game. In order in order to grow the game here, somebody's got to sink into it. No, no, you're
0: hundred percent right it, it's it's a economic game and it's a combination of um like I said finding the right partnership uh with a broadcast outlet that wants to promote the game and grow their their shares of it uh for they can make more money off of it in the long term and now mm-hmm. we'll just have to wait and see uh but I like you know like I said, I've got back into it on a on a yearly basis uh since I don't know. 2016 mm-hmm. let's say um it's been i've enjoyed it i'm glad i'm back into this footy i love it uh just out of curiosity here uh do you have a uh, a side that you support
2: uh yes uh i'm a hawthorne supporter and that's because of course of my my connection with the philadelphia the hawks. hawks yeah yeah yeah, I, I you know I I like good I like watching good footy and um I you know I don't it's not like oh, I hate this team <laughs> except Collingwood because every, <laughs> because everybody hates Collingwood except um, me. <laughs> yeah. I got a quick story, real quick. Yeah. Um,
0: when I started watching it because of my media background, I was pretty much uh, non-committal to any team, and. Obviously, the Mason Cox story always caught my attention because being the American plan and he played for Collingwood
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, another footy show that I love listening to is how goes footy who absolutely hate everything Collingwood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And being a Northeast Ohio guy and a baseball fan, I was like, and them being black and white and all that. I, I, I was talking to Gemma on a podcast one day. I says, Gemma, you got to help me out here. I says, I can't root for the New York Yankee team in Australia. I don't want to do that. No. I says, you know, I can't do that. Don't let me do this if that's what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. I says, I, she goes like this, but you like Mason Cox. Yeah, that's the team you're kind of following. Yeah, she goes, well, you, you should be a Collingwood supporter. I says, all right, I'll be a Collingwood supporter. No idea back when I first said that of all the baggage that came with it.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> it, it's, it's like one of those um, situations. I went to an AFL game. Uh, I'm sorry. I went to an arena football game once and I ended up sitting next to, um, I went to a Philadelphia soul game and I forgot mm-hmm. who they were playing. I think they were playing. I think it was the New York track whoever they were playing one of the. Men. Sure. I mean, it was so long ago, but I was sitting next to the family of the kicker of the opposite team. And like, like I was sitting right next to them. In fact, they, I bought the ticket from them. They were just like, Hey, we have one extra and really, really nice people. And I was just like, listen, I hope he kicks 10. I hope he kicks 10 field goals and you guys lose by a point. Exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. That's how I, that's how I feel. It's like, it's like, I want to see Mason Cox have the game of his life and, 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 and them lose by a point. Yeah. Um. But, but, but yeah, no, it's, and and I found that when you go to Melbourne, and when people learn that you're a footy fan and you ask that question, there is a 95% chance that they will get angry at your answer. I mean, in a playful way, <laughs> Yeah, but, but like, but like, whenever I say Hawthorne, especially if it's an Essendon supporter, because right. that's oh, their main yeah. rival, they, exactly. they're, they're like, they're like, I right, buzzer bugger off. <laughs> or, or if you say that you're a club, you're like a Fremantle supporter, they'll give you a dirty look like, like, like where, like, what planet why? are you from? Yeah, why? Yeah, you know, why would you do that? Yeah. Uh,
0: hey Brian, I really enjoyed our conversation, and and we, I have to have you on again and talk uh, actual footy with you, and and give us an update about the upcoming. uh, tournaments that may happen in uh, the U.S. AFL and I uh, really look forward to uh, talk to you in the future. I really do thank you. I know we've been playing tag for about a month back and forth. I'm <laughs> glad we were able to, uh, to actually get this done, even through my technical uh, problems. But uh, my hope is that uh, we'll have you on again in the future because I really enjoyed this and uh, like I like I tell everybody, uh, Radio MVP, tell your family, friends and enemies because it's it's all fun here.
2: Oh, absolutely, and and uh, listen, it's it's not often that I get that I get to talk. Uh, you know, the the broadcasting side of it. Uh, very quickly, um, you mentioned the updates. Uh, if if I may, um, today we just announced uh, what we're what's going to happen with the twenty twenty one season. Uh, we're normally we have three regional tournaments across the country. Uh, we're actually going to have six sub regional tournaments, so much smaller ones. Um, August seventh will be in Cincinnati and Sacramento. August fourteenth will be in Philadelphia and in. Madison, Wisconsin, August 21st will be in Savannah, Georgia and Arlington, Texas, and the national championship, which is the big dance, the uh, 50 teams, a uh, thousand uh, athletes will be in Austin, Texas, the week of October, the weekend of October 16th and 17th. If it is safe for you to travel, if there's a team near you, if you're vaccinated, if you, if you are in an itching to see some live sport, I highly recommend you come and check it out. I uh, can't wait for, uh, uh August 7th, huh? Cincinnati is
0: about four, four and a half hours from me. Uh, Do made it. it trip, made, made it a trip many times. Uh, Do it. if I have that opportunity, uh, in early August, I will definitely
2: make the trip. Do it. Hey, and, and listen. I don't know what we're doing for broadcasting yet, but if you want to get your chops, if you want to, you know, give footy a try, I would love that opportunity.
0: If, if it's, it's if it's a possibility, I would, I will definitely uh, give it my best shot. Matter of fact, uh, just on, on a totally separate note, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give away something that I was going to talk about next week on the podcast. Okay. Um, I, I have a upcoming uh, broadcast coming up on a, uh, a new outlet, for uh, semi-pro football coming up here in uh, Northeast Ohio. Oh, nice. uh, That will be coming up at the end of May. I'll have more on that next week for everybody listening on Radio MVP, uh, how you can uh, tune in for that. So, uh, yeah, uh, the GDFL. um, Nice. uh, So we will have that coming up at the end of May and in June. And uh, hopefully I can run right down to Cincinnati come uh, uh, August. Great. Well, we'd love to have you. All right. Hey, Brian, once again, thank you again for your your time. Stay in touch. Let me know if there's anything you ever want to promote. Just give me a holler and we'll get you on the podcast.
2: Cheers, Tim. You're the best, mate. All right.
0: That is Brian Bartish from the USF. US AFL. I almost said USFL, but it's US AFL, and uh, I should know that because I'm a huge AFL fan. And uh, again, Brian, thanks once again for your time. Uh, once again, I want to thank Brian for coming on the the podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation, Anthony. When I had a chance to talk to him last night, uh, really an outgoing guy who was uh, just terrific. Matter of fact, I think we talked as much off air as we did on air and just about different scenarios every time we thought we were about to hang up it was probably mm-hmm. my fault because once i get in a conversation you know how i am i just kind of keep going on and i and that's basically what went on and uh uh he has an open invitation to come back and we look forward to it just a little uh, everybody knows some uh, some upcoming guests we have uh, julia montesero uh, coming on next week matter of fact i'm going to talk to her tomorrow if everything works out and uh, she is basically a play-by-play announcer for uh some uh, aflw games in the vfl which is like the triple a uh mm-hmm. of uh footy in australia so we're i'm looking forward to talking to her she uh also did the podcast with one of our favorites gemma Bestiani, who we I've been in contact with, we're going to have her back on, uh, as soon as she's available. And, uh, of course, Brian will have back on and, uh, others as we, uh, I guess I continue to, to cover the AFL here on our podcast. Uh, it's a great sport. I got to get you into it. You got to see it. Matter of fact, this summer when, uh, you come over and we'll have the big screen up and watch the an Indians mm-hmm. game. We'll, uh, well, I'll try to get it where you stay uh, a little longer and watch some footy on the big screen. You'll, you'll enjoy that.
1: There you go. Let's just hope this weather starts breaking here soon and uh, yeah, we can enjoy I, some nice weather outside. I, God,
0: I want to get that big screen
1: especially going. on the weekends.
0: Yeah. I want to get a big, I want to get going. I want to get it going before
1: Memorial day, but we haven't had that chance yet. No, but, uh, hopefully after this next week, it will start to warm up even though it's not looking, uh, not looking promising you know ohio all just, five uh, seasons in one day
0: yeah and just a huge tease uh <laughs> well, we'll see what happens hey um also uh talked about it towards the end of our conversation with uh, with brian i will be uh streaming some we'll be streaming some games with the gdfl uh from some of the ohio teams and we'll uh I'll give you more information on that. And we're going to talk more about that in the future. Uh, we're going to have a uh, JD on who uh, runs that 12 uh, ounce uh, sports. I believe it was what it is. And uh, we'll make the announcement there, but to just give you a little heads up uh, more regular American football coming your way right here on radio MVP and other outlets uh, coming your way. So uh, Anthony, uh, another uh, podcast in the books. Uh, any last thoughts here?
1: Yes. Uh, one last thought. It was nice to go a whole podcast and whole day without a blown call by Andrew Hernandez. Shocking.
0: All right. With that and in mind, a good
1: start to the weekend. <laughs> if We can hold off the reins. We'll be in good shape. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm supposed to go off tomorrow at 10 45. So it's hold off. <laughs> I wish you well with that tea time. It's
0: going to be bustling. All right. For Anthony Canfield, I am Tim here in Portland wishing you all a good day. We'll talk to you soon right here on Radio MVB. Peace.